Well, hello, this is the Trophy Room, aka Trophy Room Radio. I am your host, Brett Hammer. Wherever you are on this Wednesday, thanks for making me part of your day. Coming up, we finally got the storybook ending in college football. A current playoff coach may be getting fired, and why is Aaron Rodgers beefing with late night TV? We will get into all of it. But here's my shout out for the morning. Um. There's been a lot of discussion. We'll get to, don't worry, we'll get to the natty, but just let me get this off my chest. There's been a lot of conversation the last few weeks about whether or not college football is broken. And I don't know that I necessarily love the word broken. I would probably choose to define it as being too wild, wild west. This morning, wake up, start reading through the news, and I think three days ago, Georgia gets this transfer quarterback, Jaden Mayava from UNLV, which didn't make a lot of sense anyway because Carson Beck is still there, and they just got a four-star that who committed. Uh, maybe he thought because Dylan Rayola decided to go to Nebraska that he'd have a shot, but Carson Beck was one of the top five best quarterbacks in college football this season. If you don't believe it, go look at the stats. But however you want to feel about it, Jaden Mayaba, quote-unquote, commits to Georgia. This morning, you wake up and see the news. Jaden Mayaba flips his commitment to USC. Now, again, definitions are important. I don't know that commitment is the right word for what we're talking about. Because if I said to you, ah, I'm flipping my commitment from my wife to this other girl, you'd say, uh, commitment is the completely wrong word. In fact, I, I don't know that you can flip a commitment. If you're committed to something, then you're with it. If you had the ability to go flip to something else, then I don't know that you were that committed to begin with. And again, things change, emergencies happen, I get all that. But it is interesting. And again, definitions aren't really what we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, do players have too much power? Yes and no. And that's where this thing gets difficult. It's so wild, wild west. There's no rules, and because no one's following any rules, is anything really wrong? It's the adage of, if a tree falls in the forest and there's no one there to hear it, does it make a sound? If nobody's following any rules, then what are the morals? And if there's no morals, then is anyone doing anything right or wrong? No. But here's the problem. In the wild, wild west... There's a short list of people who don't get screwed over and do all the screwing over. Now, it makes it tough because in the NFL, we have contracts. In the real world, we have contracts. When you get a job, you sign a contract. And if you want to quit your job, many people have non-competes, which means you can't just quit a job and then go somewhere else. College football, not the case. 
you can quit your job and say you want to go work for another company, a rival company, within hours. Right or wrong. I would submit to you that as of today, nothing's right or wrong. But again, we are making it the narrative that this is completely the player's fault. Oh, well, well, you should just stay committed. Well, I, I should, but also, if I'm the four-star here, and then the number one quarterback in the class decides he wants to either transfer here or come out of high school here, and then I'm not going to get to play, maybe I want to go somewhere else because now we live in a world where that affects my bottom line. That affects how much money I can make in college, and that affects how much time I'm going to play here, which affects how much I will get at the next level if I even get there. And unfortunately, I hate to say this, but the same people who are saying college football are broken are the ones who broke it. Because we said for a long time, well, the NCAA is stupid. The NCAA doesn't know what they're doing. They have no, they have too much power. Okay, that's the road we've walked down. We said there's there's too much control with the NCAA. There needs to be more freedom. Players need to have the ability to go where they want to go. True. This is a question my dad always taught me growing up, and it's a dangerous one to play. And I think people don't like it, but where does this lead? If we do this here... Where does it end? And how do you, once you erase the line, where do you redraw it? Not to say that it can't be done, not to say that it shouldn't be done. Don't misunderstand me. But what I am saying is, if we take the guardrail off, where do we put it down? Or do we just walk to the very edge of the cliff and watch it, look over, pray we don't fall in? I don't know. But I don't know that there's anything wrong with college football because there's no rules. And until we create rules, I don't know that we can really get upset with these kids. I don't know how you fix it. I'd like to believe that there's some kind of semi-pro system that you could turn college football into, which would have its own set of problems. But I'm not sure. Moving along, let's talk about college football. First of all, congratulations to Washington for getting there. Congratulations to Michigan for being there at all, despite having your head coach suspended for numerous games this season, right, fair, unfair. Congratulations to Michigan. I got a similar feeling watching this game. Remember when Ray Lewis played his final game in Baltimore in the Super Bowl? Remember when Peyton Manning played his final game in Denver, Super Bowl? It felt similar to that. Again, those guys were players. Jim Harbaugh was coach. But when Georgia won the national championship, the first question was, all right, well, what do they have to do to repeat next year? But it's funny, with Michigan, we're not asking that question. And we're not really super concerned with that question because all of us already know 
Georgia's story is different than Michigan's story. Alabama's story is different than Michigan's story. The Michigan story is a elite group of young men of NFL talent who got together to prevail against, again, fair or unfair circumstances to say we're going out there for our coach and we're going to do everything we can to help him get to the next level if he wants it. Because really, if Jim Harbaugh leaves to the next level without winning a national championship, then you feel like the story is a little short. You feel like you didn't get the whole thing. We got part of it. Jim Harbaugh still got to go win a Super Bowl. But the story is there to be told. And so congratulations to Jim Harbaugh. We'll, we'll get back to that in a second. Uh, let's talk about the game before we talk about the NFL. Be honest with me. Be honest. Some of you are going to hate me for this. But a lot of you might hate me. And then realized that I was right. And that's usually how these things go. So I'm okay with that. Um, every year, I tweeted this. Seemingly every year, we get two really good CFP games and one that's a bust. Which is a whole issue within the three-game playoff system. Not every game in the NFL is a great one. But also, you get more opportunities for more good ones when you play more total. Which has always been an issue with 14 playoff. But I would submit to you that despite the national championship being a one-possession game through most until the fourth quarter when Michigan ran away with it, that game was boring. And not to, don't misunderstand me. I'm not taking away credit for Michigan. Michigan dominated, really from start to finish. And I, and I hate saying this to Washington fans, but even watching it, I didn't feel like it was particularly close because there were opportunities for Washington to take the game that they just couldn't connect and finish on. But I got to be honest, watching that game, I was not engaged because... It was like watching a predictable movie. You ever been to one of those? Maybe it's one you take your kids to. You go with your younger cousins, siblings, whatever. And within the first 30 minutes, maybe not even a kid's movie. But either way, within the first 30 minutes, you know how the movie is likely going to go. And so every time they drop something that the movie believes will be a twist... You say, yeah, I've been playing this story out in my head. I kind of knew how this was going to go. It's like watching a rom-com or a Hallmark movie. They're all different at the beginning, but they're all the same at the end. And that's how I felt watching this national championship, which is not terrible because we got some good bowl games. The Ohio State-Missouri game was fun. Uh, the Penn State Ole Miss game was fun. The Georgia Florida State game was fun. Both of our semi playoff or uh, semi semi final games were fun, but the national championship was just not, which is fine because the story around the game and the story 
of the consequences of that game was 10 times more interesting than anything that actually happened on the field. Tell me one ridiculous highlight that you really remember from the national championship and that we'll remember. All we'll really remember is that Michigan ran the ball a lot and that they won. We'll remember that Michael Penix missed the Dunze a couple of times. That corner route was open all night. And it's just unfortunate that Washington couldn't pull through. But also, how cool is it that Washington got to make a national championship in the final year of a conference that we've all made to be a joke and made itself to be a joke. There's a reason that it's been disbanded and everyone's moving to a different conference. But congrats to Washington. Michigan was the better team. But either way, that game was boring. Which works out because the story around the game is awesome. I remember at the beginning of the season, people talked about how... And and I, I was one of those who was starting to buy into this narrative. Nick Wright on FS1 started this narrative that if... Deion Sanders was successful coaching at Colorado. That he could be on his way to one of the greatest football stories ever. Both as a player and as a coach. And I don't know that Jim Harbaugh is one of the greatest football stories ever. But I would argue that family. If you wrote a book about football. You want to tell the story? The Harbaugh family tells that story. They the two brothers, let's remember, the two brothers already played each other in a Super Bowl. John Harbaugh is probably going to go to a Super Bowl this year and Jim Harbaugh already won a national championship this year. So they tell the story of football. Jim Harbaugh played in the NFL, comes to Michigan, ruffles a lot of feathers, is a disruptor. Love that word disruptor. It's just like Uber, uh, DoorDash, all of these things disrupt. Jim Harbaugh. It, look, if people universally love or like what you're doing, you'll probably be mediocre for the rest of your life. If people really universally are divided on what you're doing, you're doing a really good job or a really bad one. And I would argue that for however we felt about Jim Harbaugh, he did a great job in Michigan. He had the satellite camps that ruffled the feathers of the SEC. He turned Michigan into a Ohio State beater. And now he's going to get to go to the NFL. And I think it's so funny that he's now said, hey, just give me a minute. Let me enjoy this. Because reports initially were that we were going to hear Jim Harbaugh's name in the NFL within minutes of the game, with the clock hitting zero. And the other ironic part is that for the last three years, it's been, oh, Jim Harbaugh interviewed here. Jim Harbaugh interviewed here. Like, we knew within minutes where he was interviewing. And now that he's won, now that everyone wants him because he's won, now he's just hanging out of control, which I think just goes to show the kind of guy that Jim Harbaugh has always been. All right. I'm not one of those guys who says I don't trust quarterbacks who wear their hat backwards at the podium. I understand that sentiment. 
I don't know that I'd live and die on it. But I think I'd be willing to live and die on this one. I don't know that I feel comfortable having a quarterback who's more mature than my head coach. I'm trying to think a great coach in the history of football who's been a little tough to take seriously. Belichick never had that problem. Jimmy Johnson never had that problem. Mike Tomlin's never had that problem. Andy Reid. I mean, I love him in the State Farm commercials, but I still take him seriously in-game. In fact, I I wouldn't even say I don't take him seriously in the commercials. I think he's just funny. But let's be honest about something. Jalen Hurts does not look happy on the sidelines. And it doesn't look like there's a ton of rapport between Nick Sirianni and Jalen Hurts. But remember when Nick Sirianni first got hired in Philadelphia? He had the, pre- the rock, paper, scissors press conference where he said, these guys want to compete so much that, that my first day I had them playing rock, paper, scissors just so they could get so fired up. That feels gimmicky to me. I'm sure that works in Jaden's second grade class. I'm not sure that it works with grown men making hundreds of thousands of dollars. I'm also not sure that it works. You're not teaching, it, it, you're not teaching these guys how to make Super Bowl. A number of them have already won one. Jason Kelsey's won one. Fletcher Cox has won one. A number of these guys have already been. You're not reinventing the wheel here. And the question people are asking is, if the Eagles lose, does Nick Sirianni get fired? Or should they fire Nick Sirianni? And there's a lot of you who want to say, me included, well, hold on, you went to the Super Bowl last year. How about we give it time to breathe? True. But also, let's remember, Doug Peterson got fired Real quick, after winning a Super Bowl, not losing, winning a Super Bowl, Doug Peterson was let go. This Eagles team is not afraid to fire coaches. Here's what I think this all boils down to. Sometimes you hire the wrong guy. Really, you have the opportunity To pick out of three, four people. You lose your offensive coordinator to the Colts. You lose your defensive coordinator to the Cardinals. The Colts, one game away from making the playoffs with a backup quarterback and losing their star player for the beginning of the season. And then your defensive coordinator coaches one of the worst teams in football and surmounts a 16-point comeback to beat you. You had good coordinators, really good coordinators. And part of you starts to wonder at this point, did they get the wrong guy? Did they hire the wrong guy? And the Eagles might have. But sometimes the loudest guy is the one who looks like the leader. Nick Sirianni seems to be the loudest guy. And I'm not sure if the loudest guy just because he fits Philly culture, 
not sure that he's the answer for these Eagles. Just as a point for us to all remember, yes, the Eagles have lost five of their last six games. This team did beat the Chiefs. They did beat the Bills. Not the number one team in the AFC, either one of them, but they did beat both of these teams this year. So do with that what you will. They can beat the Buccaneers. But when you have the most unstoppable play in the game and you can't win close games, that feels like a microcosm of falling short. Um, I'm really just mind blown here. I feel like I was watching um episode of Seinfeld the other day where this journalist mistakes Jerry and George for being gay and they disclaim that every single time they talk about being gay they say not that there's anything wrong with that and I feel like anytime we talk about DeMar Hamlin in anything other than him being Super Bowl MVP for the next 50 years we have to say we, we understand the circumstances it's been rough. We're not degrading him as a human being. But isn't it a little unfair of us to call Damar Hamlin the comeback player of the year? When every Bills game you watch, you see more of him on the sideline than you ever do on the field. Is that not concerning to anyone? I'm happy for Damar Hamlin. He keeps winning... Uh, the it's like philanthropy player of the week award or community player of the week award i think that's incredible give him the walter payton man of the year but he's not the comeback player of the year because he's not coming back he came back last year in that he's alive and we are grateful for that not demeaning that at all what he's done is miraculous but winning that award doesn't validate anything that he's done. It's just an award. You are alive and well. You beat any award that comeback player could give you. Damar Hamlin, I looked at five different sports books today. Damar Hamlin is number one odds on favorite to win NFL Comeback Player of the Year award, and he's just not. And I and I'm I love the story. What he's done is incredible. He's a fighter. He's a winner. But let's not act like this award is valid, true validation. You got the validation, dude. You're living, breathing, walking. You got on a football field again. That's more than this award could ever do for you. And it just Boggles my mind. It's almost like he, we need it for him to be validated, for the story to be completed. Dude, the story's better than the award. That being said, though, I would like to talk about who I think should win the award. And that would be one Joe Flacco. Joe Flacco is easily comeback player of the year. Thought it was going to be Josh Dobbs, then he got injured. 
Joe Flacco was written off. Joe Flacco was the Jets' backup last year. Couldn't get anything done. You realize Joe Flacco's played six games. He's averaging 320 yards passing per game. He's had one game under 300 yards. He's played six games and has half as many passing yards as Justin Herbert. Over half. Over half as many yards as Justin Herbert. And he's played a third of the games that Justin Herbert has played. I like Justin Herbert. I'm using this to make the point to you that Joe Flacco is balling right now. Joe Flacco is the best quarterback in Cleveland right now. He's better than Deshaun Watson. I mean, let's just go look up Deshaun Watson's games since he's gotten to the Cleveland Browns. Hmm. Well, uh, that's interesting. Deshaun Watson played one, two, three, four, five, six games this year. Uh, yeah, tough, tough sledding. Never had a 300-yard game. Joe Flacco's had five 300-yard games. I get the money timed into Deshaun Watson. I get the commitment. But to me, it's like if you have to quit smoking. I've never quit smoking. I've never started smoking. I'm not a smoker. But you know that the the hang, not the hangover, the withdrawals will come. Wouldn't you rather start those now than just funnel money down the drain for the next two, three years? Just, just dump them now. Admit to everyone that you made a mistake. Look, sometimes you think you're pulling the trigger on Uber. Sometimes you think you're doing something that no one has done before. And if you're doing something that no one's done before, sometimes that puts you in an elite group of just yourself and everyone's trying to play catch up. But sometimes, every now and then, you take big swings, you either get big losses or big wins. And in this case with Deshaun Watson, it's time for the Browns to, look, you're, you made the playoffs without Nick Chubb, without your starting quarterback. You are a good football team. It, it just feels like the Browns are stuck in this trauma of, we can only win three games a year, we suck. You're not them anymore. You're not the fat kid anymore. You can win games. You don't need Deshaun Watson to validate you. I get that the money says they do, and I get that there's dead money tied up in all of it, but wouldn't you rather get started on that process today? I don't know that Joe Flacco is the answer, but Joe Flacco is proof that there are guys who can play and guys who get money and still can't play. Sean Watson seems to be one of those. Back-to-back -back years, Getty was suspended for a lot of last year, and he held himself out of a lot of games this year. What makes you believe, what has he shown you that makes you believe that he will be there for you next year? I don't know. I loved watching Deshaun when he was in, te when he was in Texas. It was so fun, but he's not that guy, pal. He's not that guy. And as a result, Jeff Flacco should be coming back later of the year. Speaking of someone who's in the running for no awards other than the guy who says he doesn't want people talking about him, but then puts his name in other people's mouths. I don't know how that works. Um, you've probably seen a story about Aaron Rodgers 
having beef with Jimmy Kimmel, and you probably feel that it's just as dumb as I feel. Um, but let me give you just a quick breakdown. Um, this all ties back to Jeffrey Epstein. Uh, not actually, but just in theory. Because Aaron Rodgers and Jimmy Kimmel have beef. Aaron Rodgers says that on Pat McAfee's show that Jimmy Kimmel doesn't want the Epstein list to come out. That's all he said. He said, I bet Jimmy Kimmel doesn't want the Epstein list to come out. So then Aaron, so then Jimmy Kimmel said, um, well, if that's a serious accusation, we can take care of this in court. And then Aaron Rodgers said that he didn't, he wasn't making an accusation. He was just saying maybe he had friends there or a number of other things. And that's the story that most people know. But what they don't realize is that when, and again, conspiracy theorists, I feel like are almost like a broken clock where sometimes they're right twice a day. We don't know which one because we can't really see through the glass. You can't see the hands on the clock to know what time they were right, but they're probably right about something. But it's because back a couple years ago when the Epstein thing was really heating up, Aaron Rodgers was talking about how there were a lot of dirty rats on that list and that it was messed up and disgusting and whatever. And then Aaron Rodgers and then Jimmy Kimmel took shots at Aaron Rodgers for probably having CTE or having a concussion. He needed to get his head checked for even talking about that stuff as a joke. So then Aaron's thought is, well, did I strike a nerve? Like I, you and I were not connected and now you're taking shots at me trying to make me look like the crazy guy. And he is the crazy guy. And I don't love Aaron Rodgers. He feels like uh, a, a media personality who I guess still plays football. I, I, don't, I don't really know. I, I think if you'd asked some women who didn't know that he played before this year, they'd probably say they've heard of him more as a media personality than as an actual football player. I don't know. I have no allegations, no evidence, no accusations about anything about Epstein Island. All I'm telling you is Aaron Rodgers made a comment about it years ago. Jimmy Kimmel then connected himself to Aaron Rodgers by saying he had CTE and needed to get checked for a brain injury as a joke. And now the list comes out and now they're going back and forth. I don't know. I have, I have nothing to say other than it is interesting how much Aaron Rodgers talks despite not playing football and how much he talks despite wanting to be this secluded darkness retreat guy. I don't know. Guys, thank you so much for hanging out. I always appreciate you doing so. We are back into it. And we will talk next week. Cheers. Cheers.